Amen. Well, as we close today, open your Bibles again to Genesis chapter 1. And as I begin um, my time here, I just uh, want to say how grateful I am uh, once again for the privilege of being able to be a part of this conference. Um, and also, just to commend founders for once again putting on an amazing conference. Not that it's a surprise that founders would do something amazing and excellent, but you know, there was a time when all of us wondered if this was even going to happen because of the hurricane that, that came through here, and they lost months of preparation time uh, because of that, and yet uh, they regrouped and made this happen, and I, I think we need to be grateful to the Lord and to the Founders team for the yeoman's work that they did to even get us to this point. So thank you for that. Uh, Tom and I were recounting a story um, the, a couple of days ago of my, my first time that I ever did a Founders event. And um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't think I'd ever be invited back, but I, I was, I was, I was, and it was, uh, it was great. I want to do a couple of things in this last session. And one, uh, I want us to look back at Genesis 1 and sort of be anchored there. Uh, when we talk about man as male and female, right? God made man, God made male and female. Um, we, we need to be anchored in the text. As Brother Paul said during the Q&A, this is where God establishes foundational truths about who we are, about who he is, about this world that he has made. And these foundational truths are under attack, and they're under attack from a variety of different angles. So I want us to read this, but then I also want to just maybe go a little bit beneath the surface on at least one angle of these fundamental attacks. And it will, it will be uncomfortable. Doing so will be uncomfortable. And I'll tell you that now, it will be uncomfortable. Um, I, I, but I think it's, it's important. We need to know who our adversary is and what he's about. And then we'll try to come back and, and draw some, some um, implications from all of that at the end. Genesis chapter 1, beginning verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Sounds like a straightforward, right? Just non-controversial statement. However, nothing could be further from the truth in the times in which we live. That is absolutely a controversial statement. If you go down to chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, again, in chapter 1, we get this, this overview, if you will. And in chapter 2, we sort of drill down, especially as it relates to the creation of man. And here we drill down into this idea of the creation of man as male and female. Verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, 
and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I, I do not argue that every man has to be married. The Bible doesn't argue that every man has to be married. Every man, every woman has to be married. But I do argue that you cannot comprehend what manhood is and what womanhood is apart from understanding marriage. That this is fundamental and that's why, that's why God puts it here in this foundational text. He, he doesn't go into a treatise on, you know, he made males and he made females and males he made like this and females he made like that. No, he made males and he made females and immediately we see the males and the females together and it gives us a picture and an understanding of the nature and the essence of each and of both together. And that is absolutely under attack in our day. It's under attack in our day from a number of angles, but the basic reason it's under attack, again, it's been under attack for a while by those who argue against creation, by those who argue uh, for evolution. Uh, because inherently when you argue that man evolved, what you have to also argue is that Genesis is a lie. Amen? Now they get sophisticated and they say, no, 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 just Genesis 1 through 11 is a lie. Like we're supposed to say, oh, okay. If, if it's just the first 11 chapters, we can still be friends, right? We're... But, but if man evolved, then that means man was not created. If man was not created, then Genesis is a lie. It's not true, but it gets worse because Jesus speaks about the creation of Adam and Eve as though it is literal and factual, which means if evolution is true, not only is Genesis a lie, but Jesus is either an ignorant fool or a liar. And either way, if Jesus is an ignorant fool who believes Genesis when he should not have believed Genesis, or if Jesus is just a liar who knows that Genesis is not true, but talks about it as literal and factual, in either way, he's not our sinless, sinless savior. So that's hugely problematic, and that's been going on for a while. Amen? That, that's been going on for a while. But now there's another attack. This attack is from a more philosophical perspective. This attack, it's also rooted in um, the idea that, you know, man is not, not created, rooted in ideas of evolution. It comes out of Marxism, which is materialistic, naturalistic, materialistic, atheistic, but, but, but it's different. It goes a step further. And it argues in this sort of Gramscian, neo-Marxist ideology 
that not only is Genesis a lie, but it is a pernicious kind of lie that was told for nefarious purposes. Because religion is not just the opiate of the masses, but religion is the opiate of the masses that exists in order to docilize people so that they can be oppressed. So there is, as Gramsci would argue, this cultural hegemony, this, this ideology that exists in a culture, this ideology that exists for the benefit of those in power in the culture, this ideology that exists in order to continue to keep those who don't have power in the culture from attaining power in the culture. And the most significant player, the most significant issue in this hegemonic power that the oppressors use to oppress everybody else is religion. It's religion. And this religion constructs reality. We've heard this, right? Everything's a construct. This is a construct. That's a construct. The other is a construct. Religion is the tool that is used to construct reality in a particular way in order to oppress people. And so here in Genesis, we have reality constructed in a particular way to oppress people, and in the text that we've read, to oppress women in particular. This is constructed in order to oppress women. And now people would also argue that it's constructed in order to oppress children. Now, that's the view from 30,000 feet. Uh, allow me to explain. Because this ideology that exists is why two individuals that I'm going to introduce you to are so important and have been so important. Whether you know their names or know their work or not. Their work is deemed important because their work is viewed to have poked holes in the hegemony. Their work is viewed to have exposed the lie about human sexuality, about manhood, womanhood, and marriage. It's not pretty, but we're gonna look at it anyway. Why are we gonna look at it? One more passage of scripture before we get into it. Ephesians chapter one. Look beginning there in verse one. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, and here's the key, but instead expose them. That's my goal here. For it is shameful even to speak 
of the things that they do in secret. There's, it, there's an irony. It, it'll, it, it seems like a contradiction, right? It, it, it would seem like, you know, the text is saying here, don't talk about that stuff. But the question is, how do you expose the stuff if you don't talk about this stuff? Look at it again, though. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Okay, don't, 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 don't participate in, in them, but instead expose them, expose them, expose them, expose them. Why is it important to expose them? It's important to expose them because it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. These things are shameful, so expose them. But when anything is exposed to the light or by the light, it becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Two names that you need to know. One name you need to know is the name of Alfred Kinsey. You need to know the name Alfred Kinsey. Kinsey is viewed as a modern-day hero. Listen to this. The history of sex in America falls into two large, unequal, yet clearly defined periods. Scott McLemy wrote these words in a 1980 or 1997 rather article in Salon, anticipating the 50th anniversary of the publication of Kinsey's premier work. He continues. The first era belonged to the Puritans, the Victorians. This epoch of libidinal prohibition lasted until January 4th, 1948. The following day, Professor Alfred C. Kinsey of Indiana published Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, whereupon, as the expression has it, the earth moved. He changed the world in 1948 with the publication of this book. It became the standard and it influences and impacts us to this very day. When you hear people talk about born this way, that's Kinsey's influence. That, that is a very modern, unique, avant-garde way of thinking about things. Because before Kinsey, before we all lost our ever-loving minds, everybody knew that children weren't sexual beings. So how can you have known that you were homosexual since you were a child, if as a child you were not a sexual being? The answer is, you couldn't. And yet, we still hear people say that, and we accept it. We accept the idea that all their life, they've had same-sex sexual attractions. Folks, that's Kinsey. By the way, there's a monument to this man at Indiana University. Listen to this. Michael Jones writes this about a moment in 1981 when Judith Reisman, and if you don't know that name, you need to know that name, confronted this world. He writes, on July 23rd, 1981, Reisman delivered a paper entitled, The Scientist as a Contributing Agent to Child Sexual Abuse, a Preliminary Sto uh, 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 Study, in which Reisman brought up for the first time in the 32 years since it had been published, the material on child sexuality in tables 30 through 34 of Kinsey's male volume, because he wrote another one, uh, a female volume, 
and wondered how this data could have been obtained without involvement in criminal activity. Before giving her report, Riesman had written to Mail Volume co-author Paul Gebhardt to ask about the data in tables 30 through 34. Gebhardt wrote back saying that the data had been obtained from parents, school teachers, and some male homosexuals, including some of Kinsey's men, who had used manual and oral techniques to catalog the number of orgasms they said they could stimulate in infants and children. Tables 30 through 34 are on his research on pre-adolescent orgasm. And some of his subjects were as young as four months old. That's Alfred Kinsey. Who abused somewhere between 350 and 2,000 infants and children for his research. His fraudulent research, by the way, that we now know was not only fraudulent research, but it was child abuse. Virtually the entire sex industry, sex research establishment worldwide was in the audience at the meeting in Jerusalem. But the reaction to the talk was silence, stunned or sullen or otherwise, until a Swedish reporter wondered out loud why the assembled experts had nothing to say. The reason they had nothing to say is because all of their work and all of their research was based on Kinsey's work and most of them were his protégés. So the modern landscape in terms of what we think about sexuality is rooted in the work of this man. So when you hear people talk about born this way, when you hear people talk about, you know, all my life, ever since I was a child, that's Kinsey. By the way, what are the implications of this? I'm glad you asked. People have been wondering out loud, why is it that they're trying to push sex ed further and further down the chain? Why is it that, you know, it's not just, you know, older children, high school age children, children who've gone through, you know, puberty and adolescence. Why is it that we have to do this earlier? Why, why is it that we have to do this with elementary school children? Why is it so controversial? When, when the governor of the great state of Florida says, not here. Right. You need to understand that the reason that people argue for this and the reason that they get upset when people don't want to allow this to happen is because they have a Kinsian view of human sexuality and they believe that these babies are sexual creatures and that we need to acknowledge that and treat them as such. Another movement that is rooted in this is the movement that wants to lower or remove, or remove age of consent laws. Because, the reasoning goes, if children are sexual beings from birth, then it is oppressive not to allow them to express that with one another or intergenerationally. That's Alfred Kinsey. And by the way, did I say there's a monument? I believe I did a monument to him at 
Indiana University. So that's number one. Number two is a man by the name of John Money. John Money. Fewer people know of money than know of Kinsey, but we need to know about John Money, a contemporary of Kinsey. Bruce Reamer was born in Winnipeg, Canada on the 22nd of August in 1965. His parents were Mennonites. At eight months of age, he lost his entire penis in a botched circumcision. It was that irreparable injury that led his parents to take him to see a famed expert and sex researcher and renowned Johns Hopkins Hospital physician, John Money. Money convinced them to submit their son to a surgical sex change. And what followed was nothing less than child abuse at the hands of John Money. Like Kinsey, John Money believed that sex between adults and children could be beneficial. He was a proponent of so-called adult child love and even incest. He also believed that gender was a social construct. And that if you could get a hold of a child young enough, a young man could have surgery done and live a complete and fulfilling life as a young woman. Why was he so interested in this case? Because Bruce Reisman was a twin. So for money, as a researcher, this was a gold mine. He could prove his theory by taking two identical twins And one of them, he gives a sex change and raises as female, and the other one is raised as male. And that's exactly what he set out to do. The, the, the case was famous worldwide and was hailed as a success. That's because until 1997, nobody knew the real story. Because by 1997, Bruce, who had been renamed Brenda, had changed his name again to David. He was working in a slaughterhouse. He had stopped living as a woman. He found out in his adolescence what had happened to him. And he thought he was losing his mind because of the way that he felt. He rejected being a girl from the beginning. Kids used to make fun of him because of how much he acted like a boy. Even though he and his family would go down and see Dr. Money on a regular basis, and Money would, 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 would train him psychologically and work with him psychologically, which, by the way, included him stripping the two brothers naked and making them observe one another's genitalia and pretend to perform sex acts. Eventually, the story broke. And the world was informed that John Money had lied and made up all of his findings. But by then it was too late. The entire industry, noted Miriam Grossman, the entire gender ideology, all these clinics and hospitals and gender education, 
the flags, the whole movement, which has become a civil rights movement basically, is entirely based on a concept that was never proved. By the way, David committed suicide. So did his twin brother. And most of you never heard their story. But you have heard John Money's theory over and over and over again. And now because of John Money's theory, the approach to transgenderism is affirmative care. When a child comes and identifies him or herself as trans, the entire medical industry now says the way to respond to it is to affirm. Just affirm. Again, more could be said about these two gentlemen and and others. But, But here's what I want you to see. What I want you to see, by the way, why? Why were people so eager to believe Kinsey? Why were people so eager to believe money? Well, because if this is all constructed, and if oppressive, puritanical, sexual roles, norms, and mores were just invented to oppress people, Now, all of a sudden, the scientific community is proving that the church has been wrong. Kinsey's a hero because he proves that these Christian sexual ethics have been oppressing people and people need to be liberated and they need to be liberated younger and younger and younger because it's all a lie. If money's work is true, Then we've proven it. We've proven that the differences, these gender differences between men and women, it's all made up. And this lie that Christians believe from Genesis is just that. It's a lie. That's why the names and the work of these men is important. The second reason that it's important is because it has worked. And many of us, some of us, it's our children. You know, we have children who are off at school or children who are off at university and they're coming home and they're spouting some of this stuff or at least having serious doubts about the sexual ethics that they've been taught because this is what rules the day. But it's a lie. Back to Genesis. Back to Genesis. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the heaven, every beast of the field. But for Adam, it was not found a helper fit for him. By the way, talk about the fact that all these things that we need to know, right? Uh, They're here in Genesis. Uh, By the way, this is all we need to know, to know that bestiality is wrong. Nothing else among that which God made was suitable for the man. Amen? Amen. So, so, So right here, we answer that. Okay. By the way, the evolutionist does not have an answer for that. 
he, not at all does he have an answer for that. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up his place with flesh. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. By the way, we also get here the full equality of men and women, both made by the hand of God, both made in the image of God, made from the same stuff. We also get here the idea that marriage is not a social construct invented by man, but that marriage actually was given to man by God. By, by the way, that one in and of it, on its face, that one is sheer folly. The idea that men invented marriage to oppress women. How did that meeting go? Hey guys, listen, at this point, um, we can just have all kinds of exploits with whatever women we want. Um, they're the ones who get pregnant, we're not. Um, but I think that our ability to just be as promiscuous as we want while they get stuck with children doesn't quite oppress them enough. I think maybe we should marry one of them at a time. And somebody went, yeah, that'll show them. Far from oppressing women, marriage actually protects women. That's how ridiculous this ideology is. It calls good evil and evil good. Another ideology that's blasted here is this ideology of feminism and or egalitarianism. Those people who argue, no, 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 male headship, that's from, that's from Genesis chapter 3, right? Your desire will be for your husband, but he would rule over you. Um, and, that, 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 and so that's, that's a product of the fall. This idea of male headship, it's a product of the fall. We just get that from the fall. But now when we're in Christ, we don't have that anymore because that curse is reversed. Okay. Well, riddle me this, Batman. Because right before it, that same curse, right, talks about pain and childbearing. So if coming to Christ reverses the curse, how come when we go to the hospital, we can't tell who the Christians are? I'm just saying, right? And the maternity ward should be full of some women going, why are they screaming over there on that side, right? <laughs> Here's the other problem. Male headship is seen in chapter 2. First of all, the woman was made for the man. Verse 18, it is not good that the man shall be alone, I will make him a helper fit for him. Male headship. Secondly, the woman was made from the man. Thirdly, the woman was brought to the man. Fourthly, the woman was named by the man. Here's what's interesting. Look at what happens, right? It's not good for the man to be alone, verse 18. I will make him a helper fit for him. Seems like the next verse should be, so he made a woman. That's not what happens in 19. What happens in 19? Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So being, being brought to the man and being named by the man. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name, which takes us all the way back to the dominion mandate, right? The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So then the Lord makes the woman, and what happens? The woman is brought to the man, verse 22. 
Then the man says, this is the last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called. Why? Because before the anesthesia, he was naming stuff. Amen? He was naming stuff that the Lord put him to sleep, and he woke up and said, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> This one right here. <laughs> right? I mean, the rest of that stuff you made, you know, just good job. But this one right here. <laughs> this one's mine right here, right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Come here, woman. Y'all got to excuse me, right? I've been, I've been away from my wife for a couple of weeks, and, and um, you know, she and my children are in the air right now. They're going to be landing in Miami in a couple of hours, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so, Again, male headship, right here, male headship. All of this, male headship, before the fall. Male headship's not fallen. By the way, the other reason that we see male headship is if we go to, for example, Romans chapter 5. Go to Romans chapter 5. Look at Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one couple, oh, yours didn't say that? Mine doesn't either. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Why? Male headship. Male headship. Again, what is our world at war at? at war with, the patriarchy, male headship. Now, it's interesting. I mean, we, we could go on here in this passage and talk about all of these things that our culture is at war with that we see very clearly here in the text. But the last one that I want you to see is in verse 24, Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The sexual union between the man and the woman is godly and holy. And everything outside of this is sinful. God designed us clearly for this union to be an obvious one. And so we see here the picture of human sexuality, that which is acceptable in God's sight, and that which allows man to be obedient to the command that he's given to be fruitful and multiply. That in and of itself points us to the reality of this particular union being the one that God designed for humanity. So, for example, when we talk about procreation, and think about procreation as a, as a foundational reality for our understanding of what marriage is, you know, people want to play this sleight of hand and they go, oh yeah, well, you know, what about couples who, who can't procreate? Or what about couples who, you know, they're too old to get married? What about couples who, what about couples who, what about couples who? The, the argument is not that every couple who's married will have children. We know this. I mean, throughout the Bible, there are a number of people who didn't have children. 
that's not the argument that I'm making. The argument that I'm making is that the design of male and female for the purpose of procreation instructs us as to the design of marriage being between males and females. It's like pickup truck. Right? Pickup truck, you got the pickup truck and you put stuff in the back of the pickup truck, you can haul stuff in your pickup truck. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yeah, many people have pickup truck and never put stuff in the back of it. But it's still a pickup truck, amen? And you can't ride up beside it with, you know, some little whatever and say, I want, I want to call my little whatever a pickup truck. You can't do that. There's a particular design. Mine was designed as a pickup truck. Yeah, but you don't ever put stuff in the back of it. But I could. So, so we see here, even in the way that God designed men and women, this picture of marriage as being designed for man and woman. And we don't get to redefine this. We just receive it as God has given, to us, given it to us. Again, just in these few observations, we see why it is so important for those who oppose us to oppose these principles and these ideas. And why Genesis becomes a battleground. First, just in terms of creation, but then again and more poignantly in terms of this idea of cultural hegemony. We also see why people are dying for scientific research that undermines our view and will cling to it even if we learn that it's a lie. And in the case of Kinsey and money, not just a lie, but fraudulent child abusing research that should have had people put under the jail. Not have monuments made to them. So my, my prayer for us is number one, that we stand firm on the truth of God's word because it's God's word, amen? And that, that, that's enough. Number two, that, that we don't fear those who mock us because of what we believe. Number three, that we don't buy the lie. Because here's the lie. The lie is that we are blind, gullible individuals who are swallowing hook, line, and sinker this mythology, but they are intelligent men and women whose views are based on real science. How are you going to mock me for following Jesus when you follow Kinsey and money? Finally, my prayer is that we would arm ourselves. Not, not just so that we could be right, but so that, number one, again, according to Ephesians, marriage is a living, breathing picture of the love relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. So everything that it's attacking it is attacking that gospel picture of our Savior and his love for his bride for whom he laid down his life and died. But finally, it keeps people in darkness. 
It's one thing for people not to see that beautiful picture for what it is. It's another thing for them not to see the beautiful thing to which the picture points, which is their only hope of salvation. My time is up. I did what I said I was going to do. Let me pray for us. Don't be mad at me because I told you this stuff. Some of y'all were mad at me. Listen, if you're going to be mad at me, go ahead and be mad at me. But if you're mad, ask yourself this question. If you were offended because of stuff that I read about Kinsey, why aren't you offended? Because they're doing that to our kids in schools. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word that is truth. But we also thank you and praise you for the truth of the book of nature, for general revelation as well as your special revelation. And we thank you that we don't have to fear general revelation. And the reason that we don't have to fear it is because your word is truth. Grant by your grace that we would cling to your word even in the midst of opposition by the culture at large that mocks us, that, that, that slanders us. And grant that even in the midst of it, we would not just be interested in winning arguments, that we, but that we would be committed to winning souls. And that our commitment would be rooted and grounded in our desire to see Christ's rule and reign expanded. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer. This is our hope. This is our desire. And because we know that it will come to pass, it is our great joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.